Jeff, thank you uh, very much. Uh, appreciate the um, appreciate the introduction. Um, you should have a handout on your table uh, that's got a couple of things that we'll be referring to um, as we go through today. Um, faith is a reality, isn't it? I think we'd all agree, no matter where we're coming from this lunchtime, that faith is something that exists in our world. You may well know people who have got strong faith. Perhaps you're sitting alongside somebody who who undeniably has strong faith. Uh, this lunchtime. And that does raise a question for us, I think, doesn't it? Why do some people have strong faith and, and perhaps other people don't? One common way, I think, when we see somebody perhaps developing strong faith or seeing somebody's strong faith helping them in a crisis, to, to process that, if we don't have faith, is to sort of say, that's really great for you. You know, perhaps your child comes home from university and they're suddenly developing this, this weird Christian faith thing and you're like, well, it's nice for them. You know, they've got faith and it seems to be doing them good, but it's not really for me. Um, or um, perhaps when somebody uh, dies and they're going through a difficult time, you might say to them, well, I hope your faith really helps you in this situation, even if you don't have it yourself. And, and that's nice and, that, and that's good. And I suppose it's nice for those of us who do have faith uh, to, to, to feel like it's not always a bad thing to have faith. Um, that's the sort of the nice way of putting it. On the, on the handout, though, we've, we've got the sort of slightly more um, uh, provocative way of putting it. You see the cartoon there. Um, the little girl asks her mum while she's doing the cooking, why do people believe in God, mum? And mum replies as she's continuing to, to bake her cake and get on with the job, God is a coping mechanism for people that can't deal with the harsh realities of life. So it's saying, isn't it, that faith is a psychological crutch. Faith is sort of okay for some people to, because they really struggle to get through life and their faith is going to help them, but, but we don't really need that. Faith is a coping mechanism. It's a psychological crutch. And you can, you can see the logic, I think, can't you, of, of what that is saying. I wonder how you'd respond to it. Life is harsh, isn't it? We have to be honest. There are harsh realities in life that we have to deal with day in, day out. And you can see how a belief that there is some sort of higher good would help you to deal with those realities. Uh, and that's what we, I suppose, faith is at a very general level, belief in a higher good. Uh, and so you see people having faith in, in all sorts of things. Um, perhaps some of us here believe in karma, that what goes around comes around. If somebody stuffs you in the workplace, you kind of think to yourself, well... I'm not going to get angry with them because I believe that they'll get what's coming to them eventually. And that's a kind of a faith position, isn't it? That you believe that what goes around comes around. Because the reality is sometimes it, it doesn't always uh, come around. So some, some people believe in karma and that helps them to get through the harsh realities of life. Some people believe in destiny. And here I, I always think, when I think of that word, I always think of Slumdog Millionaire. I don't know if you saw that film about 10 years ago. Uh, set in um, the slums in India where life is very tough. And the, the main character, Jamal, believes that he is in the slums because of destiny. And that's how he copes with being in this slum. He thinks it's his destiny to be there. But he also believes it's his destiny to get out, to get the girl, to become uh, a millionaire and everything. And so destiny helps him to cope with the harsh realities of life. And I think you could easily say, couldn't you, 
if you're being honest, and for us as Christians, um, I think we could probably recognize that it would be easy to come to a view that says, well, well, God is just a bigger view of karma and destiny. It's a kind of a concept that helps us get through the harsh realities of life day to day. So you can see the logic, I think, in, in this little cartoon, and, and, and I'm sure many of us uh, will, will connect with that. But I want to point us, uh, just as I begin to kind of talk about this, to I think an underlying premise, an underlying kind of assumption in uh, what the mum is saying here. She's suggesting, isn't she, that if you can deal with the harsh realities of life by yourself, then you don't need faith. Faith is a coping mechanism for people that can't deal with the harsh realities of life. And so this, I think, is suggesting to us a, a view of what humanity ought to be like. The ideal human, um, this, this, this kind of view is saying, is somebody who's not going to be affected by the harsh realities of life. Somebody who can kind of go in day out, and when something comes along that is very difficult to deal with, they, they won't have to worry about that. They don't need to appeal to some sort of higher power to, to process that. They're, they're happy to say, no, we're just, we're just kind of uh, atoms bumbling along, and stuff happens, and it's okay, and I don't need to worry about it. I'm just going to get on with life. I don't need any of this mumbo-jumbo <laughs> to help me get through it. So that's saying that the best people, the best humans, are really the people who don't need faith, who are kind of independent, who through their own kind of superior reason and their own superior willpower are able to get through life without the help of faith. When you put it like that, I think you can see that this, this idea that faith is just a psychological crutch is really assuming the view of humanity that you'd get from somebody like Richard Dawkins, uh, Stephen Pinker, to name two kind of popular uh, modern thinkers. Uh, it's the view that you'd get in somebody like Friedrich Nietzsche, who was a German philosopher uh, who kind of inspired uh, the Nazis to a large extent. Uh, it's the view of the ancient Stoics. You've heard of being stoical, haven't you? Where, where you kind of are just totally unmoved by anything that affects you. Well, well the Stoics would say this. They'd say, look, we shouldn't we just reason and willpower will get us through. Uh, Buddhists, I think, uh, as far as I can tell, would also have this view that you don't really want to be too attached by anything in life. Your, your stoicism, your, your reason, and your willpower will get you through. And we have a word, I think, that could kind of combine all of those groups of people. The word we often use for that sort of view on life is cynicism or skepticism. We, have, we call people who, who, who have this kind of view that you don't need anything higher in life. We call them cynical. And that tells us something, doesn't it, I think, about what often comes with this view of humanity. We recognize, I think, that when you have this view of humanity, that all you need to survive is your own, your own willpower, your own kind of superior intellect, you're actually missing something often in life. You're missing some of the beauty, some of the, some of the higher things in life. I think we also have to question whether this really works, this view of humanity. Uh, it's often said that there's no atheists in foxholes. Uh, when people are in real trouble, where do they turn? So often it is to some view of God. And so the question is really, can we really get through life? Can we deal really with the harsh realities of life without some kind of faith? Well, that's really just a kind of by way of introduction. Uh, to, to kind of address this question from a Christian point of view, 
I want to give us firstly an introduction to a Christian view of humanity, because I think it's views of humanity that are really underlying this. Uh, and then we'll talk about a Christian view of faith off the back of that. So in contrast to this, this view of humanity that says that we're independent and we can con control ourselves and deal with anything that comes in our way, um, the Christian view of humanity is that we are created. And that's a really good thing. The Bible says that human beings were created upright. We were morally and intellectually pure in our creation. But it does also mean that we are creatures. And that means that we are ultimately dependent on a creator. We haven't just sprung into existence off our own bats. We don't continue to exist off our own bats. We are creatures. And so we are always going to be depending on another. Not independent, not able to survive ultimately by ourselves, but ultimately depending on the creator. Um, but then, of course, the story continues in the, in the kind of the Christian scriptures. Uh, we move from this account of human beings being created good to the account of the fall, where instead of, instead of worshipping and serving and giving glory to the creator, the one who gives us everything, human beings instead try to live life ourselves. We try to get rid of God out of the picture and go our own way. And in doing that, the Bible says we are actually rejecting the most obvious thing about our existence, which is that we clearly didn't come from ourselves. Clearly, there is something causing us to exist. But when we turn away from the creator, we reject that. And so instead of being wise, we become fools, the Bible says. And that, and that turns into a, a disordering, really, of everything in our lives. And so the, the Bible's view of us as human beings is that we're not healthy, we're not the way we're meant to be. Uh, we're, we're sick. And I think, well, I want to suggest that that is actually a, ultimately a more honest understanding of what it means to be human than the kind of philosophies that I was talking about earlier, the ideas of Richard Dawkins and Stephen Pinker, that really all we need to, to improve ourselves as human beings is a bit more reason, a little bit more willpower. I think history really tells you that that, that isn't what is going to help human beings. We're fundamentally... Uh, sick. And that means that we need help from outside ourselves. And so this is where, uh, thirdly, uh, Christ comes in. Uh, the Bible presents Jesus Christ of Nazareth as the ultimate human being, the, the idea of what humanity ought to be like. And so as the, as, the, as the perfect man, Jesus shows us that actually trust is very much part of our DNA as human beings. Jesus always lived trusting God. Um, and he always had compassion for other people. He wasn't unmoved by people's sufferings. Instead, he cared deeply for other people. But more than just being the perfect man, Jesus also is the son of God, we believe as Christians, uh, one who came from heaven in order to bring us back to the creator, uh, our God. Okay, so that's the, the Christian view of humanity, just as a kind of a, a, a brief sketch. And in light of that, I want to uh, offer us uh, three points uh, about a Christian view of faith that will help, I think, to, to deal with the question. And I'm taking these from um, the letter of 1 John uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, this is uh, written by one of the people who was a disciple of Jesus, and he's, he's, he's now writing a letter. Uh, so you can see there uh, up at the top of the page. Now, it's slightly poetical sort of language, so you might need to hang on there, in there, and you'll see his point emerging as we go on. So John writes... That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, so three points about faith that I want to draw out from that. The first one is that faith uh, for a Christian is very clearly built on evidence. And what I'm wanting to say here is it's not wishful thinking. It's not just something that's nice for us to think inside our heads. It's based on something out there. So have a look at verse 1 again. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands... He's talking about something he has experienced out there uh, in reality. And so uh, Christians, I think, totally agree with the atheist uh, Carl Sagan. He was a kind of a famous kind of astrophysicist sort of atheist, a bit like a modern Brian Cox. Uh, He said, uh, it's better to grasp the universe as it actually is than to persist in delusion, however reassuring. Christians agree with that. We don't want to have a psychological crutch. We want to have a faith that is based on reality, on evidence, on what's happened out there. And so we, uh, we see, that's what we see in this account that John gives us. Now, you might say very reasonably, well, hang on a second. It's all very well to say you're basing your kind of faith on what, on what these apostles uh, are telling us. But maybe they were just deluded. Maybe they had a sort of a psychological crutch. Maybe they thought that they'd seen something, but they, they really hadn't. Um, and so I think it's worth taking a little bit of time to think about this. Um, so I read one author who suggests that there are four things that might mean that we might be sort of deluded um, in, in our beliefs and kind of, I suppose, end up with a kind of a psychological crutch that isn't true. So the first way that we could easily imagine we could be deluded is if we believe something simply on the basis of testimony. So if I look at something on my Twitter feed um, and, and I, I believe it without kind of checking into it and reading up on it, I can quite easily be deluded, can't I? It can easily be fake news because I'm just believing it on the basis of what somebody's uh, whacked out on, on Twitter. Um, but the apostles didn't, didn't believe anything on the basis of testimony. They experienced firsthand uh, this, this life of Jesus. That's what John's talking about. Maybe I didn't say that clearly. John is talking about how he saw with his eyes looked upon and touched with his hands, Jesus, the word of life in the flesh. So he was talking about his own de- direct experience. And then you, but then you could go on and say, well, even when we have an experience, maybe we could be deluded because we kind of see something out of the corner of our eye, something we don't really get a proper look at. And we can kind of um, think that it was an aeroplane when in fact it was a, a buzzing fly or something like that. But again, John's saying it wasn't that sort of experience they had. This was a close-up and personal experience that they had. Do you see how he stresses it? He says, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon and have touched with our hands this word of life. Um, And then you might also think, well, maybe uh, all all this stuff that John's talking about is so so high, so mysterious, all this religion stuff, that, that they were really, I suppose they were having to, to kind of think about it a lot and to speculate. 
And you might say, well, they maybe did experience a kind of a human Jesus, but then they had to do a lot of interpretation uh, about that to really come to their conclusions, and perhaps uh, they got that wrong. But again, uh, John is not talking about any speculation that he had to do. Um, It was an observable fact that Jesus died on the cross. They all saw it, and they all observed him and touched him three days later when he rose again from the dead. Now, that might have suggested other things, but the basic fundamental thing that they saw was a risen Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And then the final thing that maybe might make somebody uh, deluded by what they've experienced is um, they might maybe have something inside them that's stopping them from really uh, processing their experiences correctly. So somebody might be um, out of their mind or something like that. But again, you have to ask whether that really fits what's happening here. Uh, you can see even from these few verses just how, how kind of poetic and how deep and how penetrating John's writing is. And um, we've got here on your tables copies of John's Gospel. I could have brought you in a, a whole shelf full of commentaries on John's Gospel, even just at the kind of the level of the literary qualities and the, and the clever way that it's put together. These people were not out of their minds. These people uh, saw clearly, had an experience that was right in front of them that they didn't have to think too much about and that they were able to articulate very clearly for us. And they did it with one voice. So many different apostles, so many eyewitnesses all saying the same thing, that they had experienced a life that had come to them. Um, now, you might say then at this point, well, well hang on, if it, if it was so obvious that our faith is based on evidence, why doesn't everyone believe this? Why doesn't everyone believe? And uh, the, I think to, to answer that, the image I'd give us is, is, of, um, is of a blind man. Several times in the Gospels, Jesus encounters blind men. And, uh, and Jesus heals them and gives them their sight. And then they kind of follow Jesus. And that is used time and again as a picture of what happens inside our hearts. Um, According to the Bible, we're actually not able to process the evidence that's in front of our eyes appropriately. We're blind. And so we need a a work inside our hearts to to make us uh, able to see um, with our our kind of intellectual eyes. And and so that's why people maybe don't uh, experience or or don't understand the evidence properly, because we're we're naturally blind. But when we are uh, able to be healed, we're able to see that this faith is very clearly built on evidence. And sometimes even, even kind of secular people who don't believe in this are able to kind of back that up as well. We can talk about that more in questions. Uh, but I want to move on, and I also do want to say, and I think this is important, that faith, according to the Christian, is also higher than evidence. So although there are reasons for Christian faith, Christian faith is ultimately telling us about something that we could never know by ourselves. We couldn't ever reason our way up to the things that we believe by faith. And you can see that there in what John is saying, can't you? So he says, verse 2, We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And he goes on and he talks about the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So John is saying, as a result of our experiences, we've come to understand something that no experience could ever really tell us, that God the Father and God the Son existed in a, in, a, in a perfect, eternal relationship of love before all time. And that God the Son has come into our world as eternal life 
in a human body and soul. Faith, you could say, is, is less like a crutch for the Christian and more like a ladder. It's actually something that helps us to see farther than we could ever see with our normal uh, minds. And so if we're going to embrace true reality, if we really are going to get in contact with our Creator, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we need to have faith. And we can see a little bit more about that in the final point that I want to suggest. Uh, So have a look at verses 3 and 4. John goes on and he says, This is why I'm writing to you. I'm writing that that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It wasn't easy to be a Christian in the first few centuries of uh, the church. It's not easy to be a Christian today in many parts of the world. It came with all kinds of persecution. And the amazing thing is, is that the first Christians didn't run away from that persecution. They actually went towards it. Their faith actually encouraged them not simply to kind of hide away in a corner, coping with the harsh realities of life, but actually to embrace harsh realities of life in order to share their faith with other people. Because they believed, and we still believe today, that faith brings fellowship with God. It puts us in contact with true reality, with eternal life. These Christians, I would suggest to you, don't look look as though they were going around um, sharing their faith because they needed a confidence boost or because they needed um, a a little bit of help to believe. I I suggest to you that these first Christians had total (coughs) confidence in what they had heard and seen and touched. They believed that they had encountered eternal life and so they wanted to share it with others. Well, if you're a Christian here today, I hope you're wanting to do this too. I hope you're wanting to share your faith with people all around you, at home, in church, uh, and in your workplace. Because I hope that, that you're wanting to do that, not, not in order for you to feel good about yourself, not so that we can perhaps feel like there's more Christians around, but so that more people can share the joy of knowing the Father and the Son through faith. Um, and that's really why we do what we do here at Gospel in the City. That's why we t- put on a talk like this, um, because we want to try and share this joy that comes through faith. As we, as we uh, have our hearts changed so that we uh, are able to see more clearly and see further uh, than we can see uh, by ourselves. Um, we're going to stop now uh, for questions. But just before I do, in case I forget at the end, you are very welcome to take away these Gospels of John. This uh, is the account of Jesus' life written by the guy who who we've just been reading from there. Um, Take that away and have a read of it and see how he thinks this life of Jesus manifests to us the eternal life of God uh, and see if it helps you uh, to have faith. Uh, That's why he's writing. Uh, John tells us uh, at the very end, he said, uh, he's written this book so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. So I don't think faith is a psychological crutch. I think it's something that enables us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, on the basis of evidence, but also doing something far more than we could ever do ourselves, which is to know God as our Father and have life through Jesus Christ.
So I'll stop there and um, let and invite Jeff back to uh, come speak to us. So thank you, Sam. Um, <coughs> said, uh, at the start there, um, so there's a few minutes left, then just to just to um, think about some questions. If we do have anything that's Burning uh, there on your minds at your tables, uh, and we can we put agree. Sam on the spot and uh, <laughs> see if we can test him and, and ask him a question that might uh, that might challenge him. Um, but uh, actually, there was a quick, there was a sort of a comment raised at our table, which maybe we could, hmm? we could we could mention at least if you've got anything to say on that, Sam. Um, <coughs> we talked about evidence and um, how you'd made the point that. Um, this isn't just something which is airy-fairy plucked out of the sky, but there is actually evidence yeah. for the faith that we have as Christians. Um, it was mentioned at our table that um, people can have all the evidence there is mm. in front of them, but still nothing, yeah. um, uh, twi- uh, the light bulb in their brain doesn't switch on. Yeah. And is there anything you want to say about um, why that might be? Um. But I think one thing I'd want to say is if you have a look back on our podcast series um, over the past few months, we've been looking at Jesus' own encounters with people who didn't believe in him. And he actually gets into this quite a bit. And he talks about how, how often we're so focused on seeking our own glory and our own kind of ways of approving each other that, that when Jesus comes from kind of outside and says, look, here's everything you could ever want. We can't, it's almost too much for us to take. Um, T.S. Eliot, the, the, the poet um, of the 20th century, said, um, Human, humankind cannot bear too much reality. And there's almost something about the gospel that it's, it's almost too much reality. When John says, we proclaim to you fellowship, eternal life with the Father and the Son, something about us almost thinks, whoa, I'm too focused in on what I'm doing to, to take that in. So that's maybe a, a kind of from our side, an answer to that. But I suppose ultimately it goes back to that view of humanity that says we're not actually as able to reason as clearly and decide as appropriately as we often think we are. We're, we're blind. We're, we, we need healing. And so ultimately, faith is always going to require God to be working in our hearts to, to heal us. Okay. Um, no other questions have come my way, just as you've been speaking. Um, if, are there any there which we've missed, which anyone wants to wants to raise um, while we have a moment or two. Um, the, the, one other thing which struck me actually was that I'm just wondering is, is this something which um, is, is, uh, is relevant in terms of someone's age and experience as well? Um, would an older person um, have a different perspective than a younger person or a different view than a younger person? Um, you talked about, for example, um, the modern thinkers nowadays are thinking about reason and work effort as being the real way that uh, the, the ideal human can live yeah, to, yeah. To, um, to deal with harsh realities of life. But when you get older, yeah. is that something which um, becomes less as a, an obvious solution? Perhaps, perhaps Jeff, perhaps. Uh, um, have you heard, has anyone heard of Roger Scruton? No, died recently, just a few people. Um, he was an English philosopher um, who described himself as quite a sceptical kind of a thinker. Uh, he, be- he sort of became a, an, a Church of England member early on in his life, but then he went away from it. He couldn't kind of get his head around all the theology and stuff. But I saw a video with him there just taken from two years ago, I think, where he said, as he's kind of come more towards the end of his life, he he's just hasn't been able to get away from this idea that 
human beings have a need for the sacred, he called it. Something holy, something supernatural, we might say. And, and you know, slowly he's realized that even if he can't get his head around all of it, it is true and it is what we're made for. So I think you're right that some maturity sometimes does come with age. And so hopefully, hopefully that's even also a good reason to keep turning up at events like this and keep searching and looking for, for answers um, because there's always, there's always some more information there to help us on our way, on our journey to finding out, finding out the truth. Um, I think the time is gone, but if you don't have to rush away, uh, do feel free to stick around, have another cup of coffee, cup of tea, if there's any sandwiches left. Continue the discussions, and um, as Sam mentioned as well, there are John's Gospels here, which you're very welcome to take away, um, if you like. Thank you very much.